millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, February 20th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, lawmakers file a bill that could expand parts of the state Medicaid program, but it's still uncertain what changes would look like. Then teacher shortages are still a major problem for many Mississippi schools. Plus, heart disease is the leading cause of death in the state. Doctors want to see that change. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Lawmakers in both the Mississippi House and Senate announced plans to expand parts of the state's Medicaid program. One bill has been filed in the Senate. But the measure is mostly empty, only calling for the relevant state laws without having language of what changes will be made. It's a placeholder bill. Medicaid Chair Senator Kevin Blackwell of South Haven says the details need to be ironed out by lawmakers in the coming weeks through a series of amendments. He filed the bill and says both chambers will work together on crafting this legislation. Initially, we were doing our thing, they were doing their thing, and it was just got to be too much. So we actually ended up sitting down together, both House and uh, Senate, and going through the bill. Worked a lot better that way. So that's sort of my intent this this time. While much of what this measure could look like remains unknown, lawmakers on both sides of the aisle support Medicaid expansion in some form. It's anticipated the bill will focus on the working poor who can't afford private health insurance. Republicans also want to include language that would require enrollees to pay into the plan to offset costs by the state. Senate Minority Leader Derek Simmons of Greenville says this isn't the full expansion of Medicaid Democrats have been calling for. He spoke with our Will Stribling Friday after the intentions of the bill were announced, but before the placeholder was filed Monday. All of the Senate Democrats, all 16 of us, have sponsored uh, a bill to expand Medicaid. Uh, And um, we were hoping that we'd get some movement on the bill that we filed. Uh, But if this is a bill that our Republican colleagues uh, plan to move through the process, we look forward to reading that bill and to make the necessary amendments to do everything we can to make sure we expand access to coverage in Mississippi. This proposal from from Hoseman is is unique in a couple ways from from your just your standard expansion of Medicaid um, and that he wants there to be um, a work requirement. There is there is precedent for for uh, CMS granting waivers. 
uh, for that in Georgia. But he also wants there to be, uh, you know, the beneficiaries of expansion to have, quote unquote, some skin in the game. You know, we, we don't know yet if that's going to just be a monthly premium, how much it's going to be. But what do you think about those those extra requirements on on top of it instead of just, you know, just cleanly expanding? We, we'll have to look at, at, at those additional requirements uh, and we'll have to consider those additional requirements as a group. Uh, I, I, I can tell you. Uh, what Democrats have pushed for uh, and what we uh, have always sponsored was just a clean Medicaid expansion bill, uh, expanding Medicaid per the Affordable Care Act. And so uh, we'll have to look closely at that to see if it's expanding or providing access to to coverage or additional access to care. But uh, if if it does it in a way I can't really say right now. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what the restrictions really will do, uh, but, but, but we'll, we'll look at it very closely and, and, and we'll respond at that time. It seems, uh, you know, that requiring the person to contribute to their coverage is, is would be a new and pretty fundamental alteration to how Medicaid is typically functioned. You know, are you are you concerned about the logistics of getting this through just if they're, you know, problems are, are trying to have it their way um, and the federal government doesn't want to play along? I'll say this, Will. We are in a healthcare crisis. It's evident. It seems as that everyone is coming on board, or uh, it's the biggest elephant in the room in, in Mississippi right now. We have two hundred thousand plus Mississippians without healthcare that they work every day. And so, as you know, if we expand Medicaid according to the Affordable Care Act, then those individuals will be on our existing Medicaid program. And, and to be on our existing Medicaid program, uh, that's a wonderful thing for those working Mississippians who go to work every day and they actually pay taxes to the general fund like everyone else. And the individuals that are currently covered under our existing Medicaid program, uh, they don't have any additional requirements on them. And so it is a concern for those working Mississippians uh, that we have always pushed to provide health care coverage to if additional requirements are going to be placed on them. That, that is a concern, but we'll have to look at it and see what that is. Let's see what those requirements are. Uh, another thing, too, is it's just the right thing to do for the state. We're talking about creating 9,000 additional uh, health care jobs annually. Uh, we're talking about uh, saving our, our hospitals because all of our hospitals are in financial distress right now. And 54% of our rural hospitals are at risk of immediate closure. And so when you from a place like where I'm from, economic development is, in fact, expanding Medicaid in, in the place like the Delta or in rural Mississippi. Because healthcare jobs, uh, they are the equivalent of, of economic development coming into those areas to maintain the jobs that's there and to create opportunity to create additional healthcare jobs in those areas. So so I'm very excited that we can finally have a debate or discussion regarding what we all know is the right thing to do in Mississippi, which is to expand Medicaid. Yeah. And uh, one last question, just like what is it like for you and members of your, your caucus to finally have this opportunity after after pushing for this for so long, um, you know, and it just it finally – that, that moment finally arriving? It, it will be the same feeling we had in 2020 when we were able to finally – get a flag that represented all Mississippians. Uh, it was 
uh, one of the best legislative sessions of my career. Uh, and I can see Democrats having the same feeling uh, if we are able to, 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 to get a, a Medicaid expansion bill to the governor. That's Senate Minority Leader Derek Simmons of Greenville. Coming up, teacher shortages are still a major problem for many Mississippi schools. We'll have more on that. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Soprano Leontine Price was born in Laurel in 1927. After attending Central State University, Price went on to Juilliard, where she had her operatic debut as Mistress Ford in Verdi's Falstaff. Her 1955 televised performance of Puccini's Tosca, plus appearances at the San Francisco Opera, brought her to international attention. From 1961, she began a long association with the Metropolitan Opera, where she was the first African-American to be a leading performer. We remember Leontine Price on MPB's Moments in Black History. This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission. Classical, jazz, indie, blues, folk, bluegrass, whatever you call your music. Find it on MPB Music Radio on mpbonline.org or the MPB Public Media app or on an HD radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Teacher shortages remain a major hurdle across Mississippi. That's according to results from a new survey by the State Department of Education. Between 2022 and 2023, teacher vacancies went down. But in this latest survey, 2023 to 24 data shows there is a growing number of vacancies in the Delta. Courtney Van Cleve is executive director of Educator Continuum at the Department of Ed. And she tells our Kobe Vance this data can help give better insight into how the state can grow teacher recruitment and retention. First, when we think about job vacancies, we're primarily interested in educator workforce vacancies. And so we do take a fairly expansive definition of that term to include certainly teacher vacancies, but then also K-12 licensed educator vacancies, positions like librarians, counselors, et cetera, in addition to administrator vacancies and K-12 support staff vacancies. So those would include positions like our teacher's assistant and bus drivers and individuals who certainly impact students' daily experiences within school and district settings as well. So we try to look at that holistically thinking about all of the individuals who do indeed impact student experiences. Within that, at a high level, some of the the results that we found are when we look across our various survey administrations, we've been administering the survey for about three years running now, and we found that while uh, our vacancies as a whole for licensed teacher and administrator positions did indeed rise since the school year last year, they are still as a whole lower than the vacancies we were seeing during the 2021-2022 school year. So that is the the trend that we're seeing with 
licensed educator vacancies. On the other hand, our K-12 support staff vacancies have continued to decrease over time. So I guess putting in perspective, what are the year-by-year comparisons? How does this year compare to last year and the year before? So in terms of the total vacancies compared to last year, we had 5,012 vacancies across our educator workforce. That is an increase of 24 as compared to last year's survey results. And then when we break it down into particular categories, last this year we had 2,775 total teacher vacancies. That is an increase of 182 since last year. However, it's a decrease of 261 since the 2021-2022. Mentioning that, it seems like there's a bit of fluctuation here. What are some of the things that y'all are considering to try to get teachers to stay in jobs or recruit more teachers? A few different strategies that we're working on to increase both teacher recruitment and retention. To put it in context, some of our greatest areas of need as a state are in elementary education and special education. And so with uh, elementary education vacancies in terms of recruitment, we've been working with our Mississippi universities to offer increased pathways for individuals who are intending to become elementary teachers. And so we um, recently recommended approval for alternate route programs and supplemental endorsement, so areas where you already are licensed as a teacher but you might want to become licensed in another area. We have approved several of those pathways in elementary education K-6. We just launched a professional growth system portal within the Mississippi Educator Career Continuum Archive, otherwise known as MECA, frequently also fondly known as the licensure system. We now have a professional growth system portal in there as well to ensure teachers have access to effective observation and coaching tools. This is at no cost to districts and is indeed offered statewide such that when teachers are receiving observations, that is indeed happening using best practices, and then they're receiving aligned coaching and professional development recommendations based on what is observed so that they feel as though they are actually part of the improvement in their practice. Now, in y'all's report, y'all did break down these vacancies by what congressional district they're in. So y'all had the first congressional district and the fourth congressional district, respectively the northeast of the state, the southeast of the state. Both of those saw declines in the number of vacancies that are there. But in in District 3, which is mostly central and southwest, that only saw, that pretty much remained the same. It only additional two additional vacancies. But then in the Delta, at District 2, around 300 more compared to last year vacancies. Uh, in total, there's 1,076 vacancies. What does that speak to y'all about the state of vacancies and how they're changing in the state? So when we look across our congressional districts, as, as you noted, we did see that uptick in congressional district two. And I think it, it, it is it continues to point to us 
to the need for us to double down on some of the strategies that we do have in place, um, such as, for example, the Mississippi Teacher Residency, in addition to being a pathway that yields licensure in special education, we specifically target the Mississippi Teacher Residency in our geographical critical shortage districts. And so those would incorporate many of the districts outlined in Congressional District 2. So that is one particular policy that we've we've moved forward on that front. And then I think we also just want to continue to recognize that educators and, and aspiring educators, they come into classrooms from a variety of different interests and pathways. So we're constantly looking for opportunities to meet people where they are. And if they have interest in the classroom, to look forward to innovations, talk to stakeholders, and really ground ourselves in the experiences of those most closest to the challenges of some of the current teacher shortages that we've been seeing. So I think one other area um, that we have moved forward as a result is our performance-based licensure uh, pathway, which was recently approved as well. That is a pathway that's nationally unprecedented where we're looking at performance-based alternatives to licensure testing criteria um, as, as an entry point for aspiring educators. We heard that directly from a number of districts, including those in the Delta and Congressional District 2, as those licensure tests being a tremendous barrier for individuals who would otherwise be really effective educators. And so that feedback is something that we took to heart. We did a pilot study on that particular program for the last three years. And then based on some of the impacts in terms of teacher effectiveness and in student outcomes that we saw, did indeed recommend that for approval to the state board as, as a pathway moving forward into the upcoming school year. So we're excited to continue monitoring the impact of that particular policy as well. Courtney Van Cleve is Executive Director of Educator Continuum at the Mississippi Department of Education. Next, heart disease is the leading cause of death in Mississippi, a statistic doctors want to see change. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. There's useful information for you on MPB Think Radio's local programming this morning. Personal finance is the focus on Money Talks at 9. At 10, there are discussions of your legal rights on In Legal Terms. Relatively Speaking has advice on maintaining good relationships with friends and family at 11. Listen to MPB Think Radio at 10 on weekday mornings for shows about your legal rights, modern technology, car repair, and other topics of interest. Programs made by Mississippians for Mississippians on MPB Think Radio. From pre-K to high school, Mississippi Public Broadcasting's education department enriches student learning. Learn more at mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPP Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Heart disease is a leading cause of death in the state. And for Heart Health Month, doctors are urging folks to be aware of the risk 
they may face. Heart disease includes illnesses like high blood pressure and high cholesterol, but it also includes illnesses like heart failure, heart attack, and stroke, which are often linked to lesser symptoms. Dr. Harper Stone is a cardiologist at the Jackson Heart Clinic. He tells our Kobe Vance living a heart-healthy life can reduce someone's risk for these life-threatening illnesses. The number one killer in the United States is heart disease. It kills more people than any other disease in the country. And it costs about $250 billion a year, and it costs more than any other disease process. And so you think about the United States, well, who has the highest incidence of heart disease in the United States? It's Mississippi. We have more people with heart disease per capita than anywhere else in the United States. And so, you know, we've got a lot we need to do in our state to try to improve our heart health so that we can lower our mortality rate. The risk factors that we look at, are, you know, are, are hypertension, diabetes mellitus, cholesterol issues, smoking, obesity, and, inact- you know, when people are inactive on exercising. And as you know, Mississippi has been one of the leaders of obesity in the United States for, for quite some time. People say, well, how, how do I know if I have heart problems? How do I know if, I'm, if I have blockage? Well, you know, if you, you have to pay attention to your body because your body usually will give you some signs or symptoms that people tend to ignore. Women's symptoms are different from men a lot of times. They don't have the classic symptoms of the pressure going down the arm and all that. Sometimes they just may feel tired and short of breath. Or they just, I'm, I'm giving out. I, I don't have the energy I did. Or, you know, I may, I'm having some pain between my shoulder blades. And, again, you know, as a result of that, you know, they, they don't tend to pick up on it. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, they come with a heart attack. And women, when they have heart attacks, have a higher risk of dying than men do. So, you know, these are just some symptoms that people need to look and pay attention to. Setting the stage in terms of heart disease, uh, that term can often be very broad. Uh, just to remind listeners, I know heart attacks are probably one of the most well-known, uh, well-documented versions of heart disease. But what are some other things that you try to tell your patients to look out for? Uh, some things that they, they might be at risk for if they do have, like you mentioned, hypertension, high cholesterol, and diabetes. Yeah, there's a lot of things with heart disease other than just heart attacks you know, um, obviously one of the most common things, uh, rhythm problems areas in the world is atrial fibrillation. That's part of heart disease. And people develop palpitations, and they just tend to ignore them, and they say, oh, I drank too much coffee. And a lot of times people present to the hospital with a stroke, and they find out they had atrial fibrillation at that point. And so, you know, if you're if you notice you're having palpitations at home and they're irregular heart rhythms and people with Apple watches, that's really been kind of a game changer because we get people all the time coming in and say, my Apple watch told me I was in atrial fibrillation and they show it to you and sure enough, they're in atrial fibrillation. So we're able to catch them early so that they don't end up with a stroke. And so, you know, you obviously have to address the causes of that and also make sure you treat them most of the time with the blood thinner preventing strokes. Now, you mentioned walking earlier, as people often attribute walking as one of the good ways to try to, you know, improve your heart health. Are there What are some other ways that you try to get your patients to think about in terms of ways that they can improve their heart health? We've been very lucky 
in the in the way we've developed things now is we're picking up on heart disease a lot earlier in individuals. When you're talking about people having elevated cholesterol, there's a bad cholesterol called the LDL. And, you know, a lot of people say, oh, they're supposed to be about 100. If you've got heart disease, the LDL is the bad one. It has to be 70 or less and actually probably closer to 55. So we will see these people and immediately look at their cholesterol, get them on a cholesterol medicine, and then check them, make sure they're not hypertensive. If they are, get them on medicines, check them for diabetes. Uh, if they're overweight, set up an exercise program, educate them about eating correctly and all that. And, and so all these things make an impact that we're able to pick up on heart disease earlier now and start treating people earlier to prevent them from having their first heart attack and stroke. Well, Dr. Harper Stone is with the Jackson Heart Clinic. Dr. Stone, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much, Cody. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.